before I begin, <clears throat> uh, this year should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya Ben Yisrael, Benjamin Wolf, Ben Tzvi Hirsch, and uh, Boruch Ben Benjamin Wolf. Okay, tonight, which is interesting, is, is Lag Boimer. Tonight is Lag Boimer. So I thought <clears throat> that it would be nice um, to speak about Lag Boimer because Lag Boimer is a very interesting um, commemoration. And a lot of people, you know, don't really realize, you know, to them, <clears throat> Lag Boimer is Hadloka, is a uh, fire. Because that's really what's commemorated throughout the world, actually, wherever Jew Jewish communities are. Uh, you know, people light bonfires and uh, they dance. Uh, maybe there's a suuda, some places actually have a meal. Uh, you know, so there are all kinds of, uh, you know, joy, simcha, festivities, and so on. <clears throat> but, you know, we have to ask ourselves what really is the essential idea of. And, you know, whenever we think about something, you always have to think about something in its context. In other words, not only what is this, but how does it relate to other ideas which form part of the framework, part of the picture. That's also very important because that context gives you a much greater perspective than if you just look at the idea itself, you see. So that's really what I want to do. I want to place Lag Boimer not only to understand what it really is, but also within its context of how does it relate to other areas of Hashkofa, which are very fundamental. <clears throat> now, what's interesting is that, <clears throat> uh, you know, I've discussed different ideas over the years. In fact, what's interesting is uh, uh, First of all, what's interesting now is that I'm doing it on video. So I, I think uh, uh, we, we finally figured out more or less how to do the video. So hopefully I will be able to bring, you know, in the future, the shear on the video. Uh, so that's number one, you know. But uh, we, we've gone over many, many ideas over the years and so on, you know. You know, the trick many times is, you know, people who have listened to all these shurim over the years have accumulated an enormous amount of information. And many people, you know, they don't realize how much information they know. So in many ways, it's like mathematics. You know, <clears throat> if you learn mathematics, you don't go into an area in and of itself independent of any other area of mathematics. All mathematics is connected. It's all related. Well, a similar idea in Hashkofa. You know, many ideas come together in Hashkofa, and they can be applied individually to different areas, but they're all basically seen in the same context, the same concepts that form the framework. So I want to talk about Lag Ba'imah, and we can ask certain questions. The first thing I wanted to ask <clears throat> is why is Lag Boimah commemorated 
of the uh, yod site of Rochelimenu and Reb Shimon. In fact, they're basically the only two yod sites of our previous ancestors that are, that are commemorated. I mean, Rochelimenu, our yod site is Yud Aleph Cheshvan, and thousands and thousands of people go to her grave on that Yud Aleph Cheshvan. And uh, the same thing with Reb Shimon. Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, who was a Tana, Rochelimenu obviously is one of the Imors, the, the, the matriarchs. Reb Shimon is one of the Tanoim, one of the great, greatest of the Tanoim. And yet everybody seems to have this real close affinity to Reb Shimon. You know, people wonder, you know, why? You know, so we can ask that question. Why Reb Shimon and why Rochel? What meaning does it have? Second thing we can ask is, what is the real meaning of Lagboima? <clears throat> you see? And most people have, like I said, the, the idea, you know, it's a f festivities and so on. But how many people really understand what is really going on? And that's what I'd like to, uh, to talk about. Also, why is Lagboima commemorated with Hadloka, which is lighting a bonfire? I mean, that seems to be the essential idea because everybody does it. You know, they have this huge bonfire, especially in Meiron, where Shimon is buried. This is, you, there are many, I think there's a couple of hundred, uh, whatever they have, bonfires, you know. So that's the question. Clearly then, the bonfire is clearly connected to its essential message or its essential meaning. So that is the, the question. You see. <clears throat> now, what it really has to do, Lag Boima, is something which is very fundamental to Judaism. Now, interestingly enough, I mentioned this, I think, even last week, you know, that <clears throat> Judaism is not just a religion where you have certain observances and then you get some type of reward, you see. What God has contemplated and which He does is that the payoff or the reward or whatever that you get if you do observe Judaism is you become different, you change. It's not I get to eat a bigger ice cream, you know, something external to yourself, but something happens to you existentially and something happens to the environment itself existentially. In other words, there's a true transformation that happens as a result. So Judaism, in many ways, is the trigger or the wherewithal how there's actually a change in existence itself. And since God, which I once gave a shir about, is existence itself, clearly he can create, probably if he wants, an infinite amount of different types of existences that we don't even have any kind of comprehension about. And what he has done uh, is that he has basically, and I've mentioned this I think even last week, and it's very important, he has created five existential states to the creation itself, you see. Now each existential state is a framework, is an essential um, scaffold, if you want to use that word, you know, to 
to an existential state that exists more superficially. Now that means that there are five existential states, but each of them forms an essential framework to one which is more superficial. So they are connected in that way. There is some type of an existential connection. But there are five different ones, you see. And each one has its own meaning. And since each one, existential state, is really an inner framework of an outer one, right? So therefore, each existential state can be called an orpnimi. What's an orpnimi? A hidden or inner light, you see. In a certain sense, you can think of it like science. Science has an orpnimi, you know. <clears throat> the orpnimi of science is matter and energy. And then matter itself is subdivided, and so is energy. But the matter and energy concept it was f is what forms the fabric, right, of the entire physical world. So that's called its inner framework. You see, the orpnimi. Uh, well, Judaism is the same thing. Every existential state has its own orpnimi, which means its own inner reality or inner framework, which gives rise to or, some, or somehow brings forth the outer f reality, you see. So each one is, each existential state is an inner structure to another one. You see. Now I had mentioned what they are, but it's worth repeating because it's so fundamental. The greatest reality of all, uh, of which we have no comprehension in any, in any shape or form, is called the Ein Soif. Then the Ein Soif represents or is, is a name of God. Ein Soif means without end, infinite, but that doesn't really describe God as the Ein Soif. You know, we use that word for convenience because what else are we going to call God, you see? So Ein Soif is some type of existence, some type of entity, right, that has specific characteristics and that is God, <coughs> Ein Soif. That is God that we can connect to, <coughs> which is what I once spoke about. So you have that reality. <coughs> and then there's a reality which he creates, <coughs> which is called an other. Because one of the interesting characteristics of Ein Saif is Ein Mavadoi, is besides God, there is nothing else. And existentially, really, there can be nothing else. Because the uniqueness of Ein Saif is that it is so unique it cannot in any way be replicated in any form. So the Rabbanisham did, and I mentioned what's called Simpsom, which means he somehow restricted <coughs> his presence. It's not literal, it's figurative. And he, he's able to create what's called a Zulosoi, which means an other. So first he had to conceal the aspect of him that's Enoid Mavada, it means besides God there's nothing else. And then he had to create the concept called Zulosoi, other. And once he created the concept of other, 
he was able to create, create beings which are other. And of course, the being that he created in this world of Zulosai is the Neshama. <clears throat> so the Neshama, the soul, is the greatest of all creations. You see. Now, it's important to know <clears throat> that between Ein Soif and Neshama, there are things which God uses. They're sort of like his operating devices. And these are called spheres. A sphera is in some way some <clears throat> instrument that God uses to do things. And there are ten spheres, which we know, and so on. And with these spheres, they form the basic uh, mechanism of everything. They give rise to everything. And the first thing that they basically gave rise to is the neshama. And that comprises the world, the essential world, the fundamental world of Zulasai. Then after the Ainsaif created that world, which is the world of the Neshama, it created the world of Malachim, Ruchni, spiritual. Now the Shama is much greater than something spiritual. The Neshama is infinitely greater than Malachim. So that's what it created. The concept of spirituality now, spirituality, which is interesting, is an entire universe in and of itself. <clears throat> they have their own laws, you know, how they operate, how they exist. Just like we have our own laws, how we operate, how we exist. And the, the two of them cannot interact in a real way. The spiritual world can interact in a certain sense with the physical but then it has to sort of like not become physical, but it has to don physical garments or some kind of uh, costume where it can then appear in the physical world. But it itself is not physical. It is what's called ruchni or spiritual. Then what God did is he took the neshama, which is very important, and he enclosed it in geshem, in some type of physical substance. Now, this Geshem is not the same physicality that we understand, although it is physical, but it's what's called pure physicality. And God clothed the Neshama in pure physicality, you see. And that was how Adam, it's pure, it has no other th thing that mingles with it. And Adam Harishan, the first man, was pure Geshem. But remember that his pure Geshem was not the same as our physicality. But nonetheless, it was not Ruchni, basically. That's the important idea. Now, this enclosure of the Neshama by this world of Geshem is a blockage. It's supposed to, in a certain sense, conceal the world of spirituality. It conceals from the neshama the real greater reality called spirituality. And Adam has to act in that way with the belief that there is a spiritual world. He needs to discover this. And when he does, then he himself will turn or transform into a spiritual being. And in many ways, this is what God wants when Adam will believe and understand and know 
that the world is really spiritual, that there's a spiritual world above the physical, then the existential state that he will become, right, is spirituality. Therefore, the neshama of Adam, of a man, being physical, when he understands that he is innerly spiritual, he actually becomes that spiritual being. There you are. That's an existential transformation, you see. And that's what eventually happens. Therefore, what we see, we see that there are different existential states. If each state then is some type of an inner structure of a more inferior state, so there are many opnimis. There are many inner structures. This is what we begin to realize, you know. <clears throat> so if we think about it, there's an opnimi, right? If you're Odomaritian and you live in the world of pure Geshem, right? There's no mixture in that. Then what happens as a result of the fact that you live in this Geshem world, your opnimi then is, is Ruchni then the internal structure of the physical world is spiritual, you see. And his purpose is to, is to, is to realize uh, that, that he's not physical, but he's spiritual, you see. So therefore, that's an opnimi. Now, the opnimi, the inner structure of the spiritual world, is the world of the neshama itself. Is called the world of the Zulosai, you see. And the world of the, the Orpnimi, the inner structure of the world of the Neshama, is the Insaif. So each one forms, <coughs> you see, uh, an expression of an inner world. So really there are many Orpnimis, not just one, you see. Now what happened was, which is very interesting, Odomarishan was a world called Geshem. So let's call that Oilam HaGeshem, you see. But we know the problem was that Odomarishan sinned, so he introduced a world which is external to him, which he should not have introduced. He should have gone from a world of Geshem to a world of Ruchni. It would have taken time, but that's what he would become. Instead, what he did is he sinned and the, the expression of that sin was that his world of Geshem now became intermingled with the world, lower world, of what's called the Zoyama, or the world of Tumor. You see, the world, world of uh, contamination or pollution. And that is a world, it's a very interesting kind of existence. It's the world that, like I mentioned, is inhabited by the Satan, the Sitra Akhra. And that is a world that is the exact opposite of spirituality. Uh, so by him sinning, he sort of like confirmed the existence that a person can sin, that he can have his own will, you see. And since he can have his own will, he imbibed, if you want to use that word, he imbibed in himself a satanic part now the Sutton, who is an angel, but he is the 
chief or the head of this world of pollution, you see. And he can project a certain force. It's called a satanic force. And that force is called Zoyama. So therefore, since Adam conformed, right, to the belief that the Satan wants to create or project, what is that belief? That there's other beings besides God. God is not Enoid Mavadoi, he's Eishoid Mavadoi. That there are many beings besides God, many forces, what's called Koyach Acher, many forces. So he wants to delude man into thinking that he himself, man himself, is a God in a certain sense, and man does not need God, you see. So therefore, Adam confirmed that by, exp uh, by uh, expressing his will, which was the anti-God, was antagonistic to what God wanted. So he then became intertwined with the world of Zayamah. So that's a new type of existential state called Geshem slash Zoyama. So it's Geshem, right? It is Geshem, but it's now intertwined. It is now saturated, right, with Zoyama. Now there's a tremendous difference between Geshem pure, which was Adam before the sin, and Geshem with Zoyama. We live in a world of Geshem slash Zoyama, which is an incredibly contaminated world. It's contaminated with that Zoyama, which is what's called Tuma. And we don't really understand the difference between the two. We have never experienced pure Geshem, but it's a completely different existential state, for which we don't really know what it is. But Adam Rishon before the sin, that was his world. <clears throat> so now we have a new world, you see? And the problem is that we have to get rid of the, the Zoyama and revert the world of Geshem slash Zoyama back into a world of pure Geshem, uh, you see? And then from pure Geshem, we can now go upward into the world of Ruchni. So this really is the job that we've been doing for thousands of years. This is the, ever since the sin of Adam, this is really what's been happening. You see. So now you have many existential states, right? You have Ein Soif is one, the world of Zuloso is two, Ruchni, spirituality is three, Geshem, pure, is four, and Geshem mingled with Zayama is five. I uh, said, so well, we now have these five existential states, and therefore, each one inner to that is its own orpnimi, you see? So our job, basically, is to remove the zoyama from this Geshem, which means we've got to get rid of the zoyama, right? And as a result of that, this world will now turn into a world of pure Geshem, uh, you see? Pure physicality which is not the same as what we have now. Uh, it's almost like this world of matter. It's almost like matter, everything that has matter, which is basically everything, becomes pure energy. If you think about it, energy is really matter, right? Before it's condensed or congealed. 
you see. Nobody knows what energy is. We do know that energy enables you to move, provides movement. It's really what energy is, but nobody knows what it is, you see. But energy is still part of the physical world. So imagine if all matter now became pure energy. We would certainly look different, you see. But that's really what energy is. Energy is the closest thing we can uh, come to pure matter. It's when energy develops into matter. That's the concept of physicality that we know of, right? <clears throat> and that's really, in the end, what, uh, what, what uh, deteriorates is the matter. So that's one way of handling it, <coughs> by thinking the energy is pure Geshem when the matter turns back into energy. Anyway, <coughs> so we now have this idea <coughs> that there are many existential states, which I have mentioned, five now, certainly as a sin of these, uh, sin of Odomarishan, and the job is to go from one existential state to another, but what's interesting is each one provides an orpnimi. <coughs> it provides an inner structure. So we really move from one reality to the other reality. That's really the job of the Jew. That's the tikkun of the Jew. To go from one reality to the next reality. You see? So we have these shifts. We go from the world of Geshem slash Zoyama into the world of pure Geshem, into the world of Ruchni, into the world of really Olam Habo, in Kabbalah it's called Odom Kadmoin, primordial man. And that world is a very interesting world because that gets closer and closer to its Orpnimi, and the Orpnimi of Olam Habo is the Eintzoyf. Very interesting, isn't it? that we actually, in that world, we begin to approach the Ain't Seif itself. You see, not that we become God, but in some way which we do not understand, we become God-like to the greatest possible ways. And you know, there's a remez to this, which I want to point out. And the remez is this, is if you look at the Shir Shal Yom Shlishi, the song that we sing after Oleno by Shachras, Tefillah Shachras. You know, it's talking here about judges, but it alludes to mankind in general. Here's what it says, which is interesting, you see. Aniu Marti, I say, Elohim Atem, you are God. Elohim means God, right? You are gods. He's talking to man. And you, all of you, are really part of the upper spheres. However, truly, but you all will die as man. And you all will fall as the princes. And it actually says, You are all gods. Like, what does that mean? Uh, because in the end, the neshama is the closest thing to the spheres, those instruments that God uses that represent Him to do things, you see. So therefore, we are, in that sense, 
God, I can't say we're God, of course not, but we are certainly God-like. That's really what Oyrim Haba is. It is the return or the reversal of a neshama, which is the world of Zulasoy, other, to get closer and closer to God, which is an Einoid Mulvadoy. Besides God, there's nothing else, you see. So in that world, there are many things, features that we are really, we're not really aware of, but we become God-like, you see. And that's what the meaning is, we are part of the living God, you see. Now, we're not God, we're part, but a part of something, obviously, is some type of component of that thing. So if that's the case, we certainly are God-like, in fact, that's probably the closest thing that we can say, you see? So this is the basic context of all of this. So it's not that we have only another reality to look at. We have four other realities. The reality of pure Geshem, the reality of Ruchni, spirituality, the reality of pure Nishama, which is Zulasai, an other, and then the reality, right, of getting close to God. So in Oilam Habo, which is the future world, that's a constant change of existential states. You see? It's not that you get to Oilam Habo, the future world, right, and you remain that way. No. You actually change from nanosecond to nanosecond because you are getting closer to your Opnimi, which is Ainsoif. It's very interesting, you see. <coughs> so uh, that's what you can look forward to, you see, is getting closer and closer to Ein Soif, you see. So we begin to realize that the distinction between existential states is not quantitative, means amount, it's qualitative. Uh, it's different quality, you see. Now we can all ask, what does all this have to do with Lagboimah? And within this context, we can now begin to see what Lagboima really is and what it really commemorates, you see. So for that, we have to begin to think in terms of um, uh, what happened, you see. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I had mentioned that something fundamental happened, and now we can understand it much deeper. Adam was in the world of Geshem, physicality. <clears throat> so you can almost look like, think about, it's almost like he was a body of pure energy. In other words, he was physical because even energy is physical, right? It's part of the physical world. But it's certainly not matter, it certainly doesn't look physical, you know? If you think about it, radio waves. A radio wave is not spiritual. But you can't see it, right? You can't touch it, you can't smell it, right? Uh, yet it's clearly physical because it can be uh, picked up by a radio or television, whatever. The whole concept of transmission of electromagnetic radiation, which is energy. Uh, so in a certain sense, just <coughs> think that uh, it's, it's a good way of uh, 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 analyzing it, picturing it, is that Adam is a body of pure energy. Then all of a sudden, Adam becomes matter, which is very interesting. 
that Adam becomes matter, which means that he becomes much more physical. So he's still part of the physical world, you see, but he becomes physical, really physical. Our type of physicality, you see, <clears throat> no good. So he, go, he goes from the world of Geshem, pure, let's use the, uh, the, uh, the description, pure energy, so to speak. I'm using this only as a muscle, as a metaphor. We don't really know what he was. But it's a good, good, it's a good metaphor, right? And he becomes matter, which is physical. But what a difference. You know, matter is so much grosser than pure energy, you see. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is now that Adam is contaminated. He's now contaminated because his world of physicality <coughs> is now, like I said, contaminated or intermingled with, uh, uh, with the Zoyamor. And what makes him into matter is Zoyamor, you see. So Zoyamor is a very peculiar type of item. It can change somebody who's pure energy, and that's a physical being, it can change him into a matter being, a substance. This is what Zoyama does, and that is considered a pollutant. You see? So the trick now is to turn man or the world from matter into pure energy. Uh, you see? But the only way to get, do that is you gotta get rid of the Zoyama. The Zoyama is that substance that does it. You know, I'm reminded. When I think about that, uh, there is a, uh, a, a particle, the Higgs boson. I don't know if people ever heard of the Higgs boson, but it was discovered, I think, in 2012, July 4th, actually, I think, 2012 or something like that, or was it 2014, I don't remember. But anyway, it, the Higgs boson is some type of particle, that, and that is responsible for changing energy into matter. It's astounding. They discovered that with the, uh, the uh, atom smasher in uh, Zurich or in Switzerland, or Switzerland whatever. Uh, and without that particle, right, matter, uh, something, energy cannot become matter. You see, it would be interesting if that was the physical component or counterpart to Zoyama. That would be interesting. Because we now know scientifically that energy cannot go into matter unless there's what's called the Higgs field, which is something that surrounds the Higgs boson, which is a particle. Um, now, uh, I, they, don't, they don't know why or how it converts energy into matter, but it's an incredible analogy to Zoyama. And who knows if it's not the Zoyama, you know? Uh, very interesting, and it's now been scientifically proven. But anyway, you have to what you have to get do. You have to change matter back into energy, so to speak. I'm using this only as a metaphor. Uh, in other words, you got to change. It's the same physical state, but you got to change it back. Very interesting. In any case, uh, so that became the purpose. So what God wanted is that in ten generations from Adam right, is that the ten spheres would uh, magnify themselves, right, uh, and they would produce much more divine energy, and they would remove the physicality or the uh, zoyama in ten generations. 
That's what we're supposed to be. And then if that happens, then we know that the first opening, the first internal light, right, would then become visible. And according to Adam, who is now contaminated, that first physical light is what? Right? That first physical light is um, pure energy, or rather, Geshem, pure Geshem. It's really what it is. And he wanted that done. But the problem was, is that after 10 generations, the world sinned terribly, right? Increasing, if you want to use that analogy, which is really a very good analogy, increasing the amount of physicality or matter on energy. Much worse. So therefore, instead of being redeemed, which means to expose the inner structure, the opnimi, right, the inner light, right? And then exposing that inner light and then removing all that contamination and becoming a pure being, right? That energy or that, uh, the spheres rain down the ore, but that ore, instead of being a divine energy, became the physical analog, you see, which is water. Because the, wor the world was filled with what? Zayama. So when Zayama now encircles, right, the world of pure Geshem, guess what? It actually changed the all Pnimi, which is the all Rishan, the Messianic light. It actually changed it into water. Water is a physical analog, right, of the all Pnimi. That's what its physical analog is, by the way, and so on. So therefore, since the all Pnimi of the spheres came down, right, with, which is the, the, the energy that's able to make the world into uh, Geshem, came down, and that itself became physicalized and became water. And guess what? It drowned the entire planet. Because that's really what was supposed to happen initially. You see, we were supposed to bring the light to the entire planet and make it a world of pure Geshem, get rid of the Zayama. Instead, that all premium itself became Geshem, uh, you know, uh, Zayama, I should say, and drowned the entire world. And you can see that because it says that the waters came down from the windows of heaven, right? And from the deep abyss of the earth, right? What is that supposed to mean? You know, what water from the windows of heaven, right? And waters from the deep abyss. Well, there you are. That's the opnimi, right, coming out and become physicalized into water. And it pervaded the entire earth. And that was the marble, you see. And this, by the way, very important idea, was supposed to happen on Yud Aleph Cheshvan. Why? Because Yud Aleph Cheshvan, the 11th day of Cheshvan, is 41 days after Rosh Hashanah. Basically, you see, from Aleph Tishrei, when Odom was created, you see. And we know that things transform in 40 days. Right? Like it says, you know, uh, 40 days before the... Uh, that it takes 40 days to go from uh, conception to Yitzir Savlad to a human being, it takes 40 days. 40 days is always a period of time that takes for a transformation to occur. So therefore from Aleph Tishrei to Yud Aleph Cheshvan is 40 days and Yud Aleph Cheshvan is the 41st. That's why, right, that transformation from 
Geshem Zoyama slash Zoyama world was supposed to be transformed to what? To pure Geshem world. But it did. Anyway, so it was transformed. Now, that's the first idea, why it's Yudal of Cheshvan. Second idea is that it wasn't Yudal of Cheshvan. Why? Because Mr. Shelach died. Because he died, God did not want to interfere or interrupt or disrupt the Shiva for Mr. Shelach, right? So as a result of that, he pushed it off to the day the marble did come, which is from the 17th, 18th day. That's when it really came down. So the actual day it came down was the 17th, or rather the 18th day of Cheshvan, right? And it should have come down seven days earlier, which is Yud Aleph Cheshvan. So what should have come down, which is very important, is a redemption, a tikkun of the entire creation, which never happened, you see. <clears throat> so that's a very, very <coughs> important idea, you see. Now, Rochli Menu, right, was born on that day. I should say, Rochli Menu died on Yud Aleph Cheshvan. Because that day indicates <coughs> what she did. She was involved in the redemption of Klai Yisrael. And Rochli Menu, of course, is the mother of Yosef, Mishiach ben Yosef. So Yosef was given the task to fight the Zoyamah. That's really what his job is, you see. Sheikh bin David, his job is to rule after the transformation. But to bring about the transformation is the job of Mashiach bin Yosef. You see, and that's a very important concept. So Rochli Menu therefore died on that day to indicate that was her task. Because of her merit, the Jewish people, their exile ended. And God said, it'll only be for what, 70 years, whatever. And then they will come back uh, with Persia and so on. So Rochli Menu is considered the mother of the redemption for all the Jews. So obviously, the redemption means what? Redemption means to restore, transform the existential state of one world to another. That's the Opnimi. To reveal the Opnimi, the internal structure, right, is the redemption. And that was the job of Rochel and her descendants, you see. So that's why she died on Yud Aleph. Now, Klai Yisrael realizes that. They realize this concept, you see. So they commemorate her day, why? Because Yud Aleph Cheshvan, that day that she died, commemorates the redemption itself, the transformation, you see, from one existential state, which is the world of Geshem slash Zoyamah, to another existential state, which should have been the world of Geshem. That's really what it should have meant, you see? So we now understand the marble, <coughs> and we understand what happened, and we understand what Rachel really did. She is involved in transformations. That's redemption, you see? So therefore, this is, you know, what is going on there. So therefore, uh, the Jewish people intuitively realize even though they don't consciously realize. But they, in, they intuitively realize that she is the mother of redemption, and therefore they will commemorate her, uh, her uh, Yotzai, which is Yud Aleph Cheshvan. 
very important idea. <clears throat> now, secondly, we now understand what Rochel Horiotzai commemorates, right? The redemption itself. Remember what the redemption is. The redemption is nothing more than a transformation of one existential state to another, you see? Uh, but the redemption represents something else. It represents the exposure or the revelation of the orpnimi, the internal light or structure of that particular existential state, right? Whatever it is, you see? And for that, we now have the second individual, which is Rab Shimon. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there is an, now, there is an argument in the Gemara, by the way, when did creation happen? Did it happen on the first day of Tishrei? And therefore, the marble would have been on the, actual marble would have been on the 18th day of Chesron. It should have been on the 11th day, 40 days after Rosh Hashanah. Then there's Rabbi Yeshua who says, no, the creation didn't happen on the first day of Tishrei. It happened, Adam was created, when? On the first day of Nisan. That's what he holds, right? And if that's the case, that means the, the, if, uh, if it happened on first day of Nisan, that would mean that the marble happened when on the 17th, 18th day of Eo. You see, that's when it happened. Eo, not Hezron. Uh. So therefore, what that would have meant, the marble, again, is an attempt to restore right a transformation which didn't happen instead it was the earth was flooded <clears throat> so on that day Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi died because the 18th day of Eeyore is Lag Boimer <clears throat> now what's interesting about Lag Boimer is that the Svira that we read on that day is Hoid Shebehoid you see Hoid is majesty of majesty the majesty is what Teresh Peh is the majesty of God. Because that expresses his will. You see. Now, which is majesty of the majesty, is the inner concept. Again, it's the opnimi of the majesty. Uh, so what is the majesty of the oral law, which is the hoid? It is the opnimi, the inner light, or the inner structure of the oral law. And what is that? that is a different type, right, <clears throat> of light. Uh, so the Hoyt Shebehoyt, which is like Bohemah, the 33rd day of the Oymah, that is its sphera. So that represents the Opnimi. And on that day, like Bohemah, 33rd day of the Oymah, which is the 18th day of Eeyore, is the Yod site, right, we commemorate the Yod site, of Rabbi Shem, Rabbi Shem Yechai, uh, you see. Because he represents what? He's the one who wrote, wrote the Zohar. Now, the, what the Zohar is, is a very important concept. The Zohar is surface opnimi. That's really what it is. <clears throat> See, what is interesting is Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was on the mountain receiving the Torah, so he received also uh, the opnimi of the world of pure Geshem. Right? That's what he received. The world of pure Geshem. You see, it's all pnimi. The problem was the Jews did the Chetu Egel, and that was represented by the Luchas, the first tablets. 
The first tablets were not like the second. The first tablets were laws that really uh, expressed the openimi. <coughs> That's why it had many miraculous features. So that was the first luchas. And that's what he had in his hand. But when the Jews sinned at the golden calf, he took those tablets and he threw it down the mountain. You see, why? Uh, because since the Jews did the sin of the golden calf, right? So what they did is they reinserted the Zoyama again because when the Jews stood at Mount Sinai, right? Uh, after hundreds of years in Egypt, they actually had removed the Zoyama <coughs> from their body. In other words, the Zayama was still there, but it was not operative, you see. And that was the beginning of its extraction or its eviction. Had they not done the Chet Egel, then the Sultan would have been killed. The Zoyama would have been evicted from physical matter. And the whole universe would have had an existential change, transformation. <coughs> Instead, what happened is they did the sin, which automatically means that they strengthened the Zoyama back to be operative in the physical world, sort of like remaining as matter, right? So then what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He can't transform, you know, a world from uh, Geshem uh, slash Zoyama into a world of Geshem, pure Geshem, because they introduced, they solidified the Zoyama much greater. So he had to make a decision. Is he going to give God back the cat tablets? Because the Jews cannot have it. The world cannot be transformed into another existential state. So he decided on a brilliant solution. Uh, you see, what he did is he broke them. And then they took all the shards, the pieces of the broken Lucas Rishonis, the first tablets, and what he did is he put them in the Oren, behind the Luchashnias, behind the second tablets, you see. That's what he did. And what he did, therefore, is save the Jewish people in many ways. Uh, because had he given back the first tablets, which are the Opnimi from the world of Zoyamal, right? Had he given it back to God, <coughs> which we would think he should have done, then the Jews would never have access at all to any form from the opnimi, from the concealed or the inner light. Nothing. They wouldn't know anything about it. But by breaking it into pieces and he put it into the urn, therefore, even though you couldn't read them, so therefore the world is not transformed because they're all broken, the first tablets, right? What he did is he allowed the Jews it became available, you see, became available to the Jewish people, at least the pieces were available. So therefore what's called a Shefa, the divine energy of those first tablets, remained with the Jews. And that enabled, by the way, Kabbalah to be exposed to the Jewish people. And from that, Rabbi Shimon ultimately wrote the Zoya. So, the Zoya really is what? It's a description of all the different <coughs> existential states and how they operate. That's what the Zoya really is. It's the description of those states and the interactions of those states and how God interacts with those states itself. 
You see, so Rabbi Shimon was able to write the Zoya, right, which is the surface of the Opnimi, because of what Moshe Rabbeinu did. You see, but what Rabbi Shimon did is, <clears throat> right, is he wrote about the Opnimi. So that's the second aspect of the redemption. What Rachel did, she actually brought about the redemption in her merit, right? And the redemption is the transformation itself, you see. So at least they, the, ex, the first exile was only for 70 years. That is the transformation. Uh, and what Rabbi Shimon did is he exposed or revealed the oprimi of the first luchos, which is basically the surface, right? And that is the zoya. So we commemorate that aspect of the redemption, you see? So that's a very, very important idea. And that tells us really why we commemorate Rabbi Shimon, right, at all with bonfires. Because that's the essence of Rabbi Shimon, is fire, is light. It's the light of the Opnimi that he revealed in the Zoya, you see. And that is messianic, you see. <clears throat> so it's interesting that even though the Jews don't, you know, people don't re realize in many ways what Rab Shimon is, we're not really commemorating Rab Shimon, although that's what it looks like. We are commemorating what Rab Shimon stands for, his symbol. And his symbol is the light, the actual, you know, light, the inner opnimi. Uh, the inner light of the uh, what reality is when you change the world from a Geshem uh, Geshem Zoyama world, you transform it right to a Geshem, pure Geshem world. That's really what the essence is of Lagboima. You see, it's very very important uh, idea. So Lagboima is really the beginning of a transformation. Now, if you really think about that, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu threw down the Luchas Rishonis, right, which is the first part, um, uh, the Luchas uh, the first tablets, right, he really, by, by allowing the Opnimi <coughs> from the world of Geshem Zoyama to the world of pure Geshem, right, he really allowed a certain partial transformation. Although the world didn't change, but there was a revelation of the light. And that is a partial redemption. See, that's what he did, even though the Jews did the sin of the golden calf. So what Rabbi Shimon, what uh, Moshe Rabbeinu did was astounding. And Rabbi Shimon is the one who did it, you see. So there was, in a certain sense, a partial transformation. Therefore, Rabbi Shimon dies when? He dies on the day that there should have been a transformation. According to Rabbi Yeshua, that day, the marble was on the 18th day of Eo. Uh, and that's when you should have had the transformation, right? So Rabbi Shimon, he actually revealed part of that, the Orpnimi. So he died on that day. Uh, so it comes out that on both of them, on Rochli Menu, right, we commemorate, right? the actual existential change or transformation that she is responsible for. You know, and part of that, that was partial because the Golis is a partial transformation, right? When Jews are not in exile, that is a partial transformation, right? 
from control by the Zoyama, the Sutton, to non-control. That's really what Golos is. Golos is an intensification of the control of the Zoyama, of the Sutton, of the Jewish people. So Rochel ended the Golos, the first Golos in that sense, you know, of, uh, uh, of Bovel and so on, right? She ended that, and as a result of that, that is a partial transformation. Partial. So we commemorate that, that she should use her merits to continue that process and complete the entire transformation. And with Reb Shimon, that he should also, we commemorate that he did it, and that he should really reveal the total or pnimi from, you know, what it should be. But remember, even after all of them, it's only the first redemption. It's the opnimi of the first redemption. It's an existential uh, transformation of the first uh, redemption, which is to go from a world of Geshem slash Zoyama to a world of what? Pure Geshem. And that's what happens in the Messianic era. That will be the first existential transformation. Ah, but then we have the rest of the transformations, right? <clears throat> we have the transformations of the second part, where we go from a world of Geshem, pure energy, to a world of spirituality, uh, which operates on different ideas. It operates under different conditions. And then we begin to see <coughs> changes in reality. You know where we see this from? There's a fascinating medrash at the end of Kohelas, you see, that says the following. I, I've, I mentioned this before, but we understand it now in a different context. The medrash says the following, that <coughs> the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is what? Which is everything we have, right? The Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, the Sefra, Sefrei, there's Mechilta, Tosefta, Brises, right? All the Tshuvas form, thousands and thousands. Then there's Rishonim, the Achroinim, Shuchnarach. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of form that were written. All of this is Torah's Moshe. But Torah's Moshe is a description of what? It's really a description of how to get out of the world of Zoyama, or rather Geshem slash Zoyama, into a world of pure Geshem. You know, Adam Arishan didn't have this. He didn't need it. Because he was now in the world of Geshem Zoyama. Right? Because he didn't need Taryag Mitzvah the way we have it. We need the Taryag. That's really what the second Lucas are. You see? So that's what we needed. So that's Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. It is a world specifically directed or aimed at a world of Geshem slash Zoyama. <coughs> you see? Get rid of the Zoyama. And into a world of pure Geshem. That's why in the Messianic era, it's all about pure Geshem. You see? Now, once that happens, we have other realities. It doesn't end there, except it ends after 6,000 years. Then starting from 2240, the English year 2240, which is the year 6,000, right? It now changes. We actually change what's called Zikuch. That is the beginning of the end uh, right, of, of, of the physical world in general. And we become spiritual. We become the, going to, from the 6th to the 7,000th year, 
we actually begin to change and the world changes, right? From a physical world, from Oilem Asiyah to Oilem Yetzirah. That's six to seven thousand. Then from seven to eight, we change into world of Bria. Then from eight to nine, we change into the world of Atzilus. That's what it's called, right? And all of this is Oilem Hazer. But we're still not in Oilem Haba. Takes 9,000 years to make the change of all these realities. Because the spiritual domain is three worlds. See? Whereas the physical domain is only one. It has different parts. Echolos, whatever. But it's still different parts. Uh, so it takes 3,000 years to go three worlds. Ah, but then we get to the 9,000. Like it says in the Torah of Yehoah Asiri. And the 10,000th year, which is 9,001. There will be what? There will be holiness. That is the beginning where we no longer are neither energy or matter. It's over with, <clears throat> you see. And we actually change from a spiritual world into a completely different type of being. Why? Why well, I should say how? Because the opnimi of Oilam Haba has nothing to do with any of Oilam Hazer. The world of Oilam Haba, the Opnimi, the inner light or inner structure of Oilam Haba, is the Ein Soif. Uh, you see, it's God as he is represented by the Ein Soif, the infinite one. That is its Opnimi, you see. And what happens is, in that world, we don't even know what we are. The world of Zulosai, which is other than Ein Soif, uh, which is the world of the Neshama, we have no idea really who we are and what we are, you see? And that's the last uh, trans uh, existential transformation. But like I said, that transformation continues on and on, you see? Now I was saying the Medrash. Uh, so the Medrash says that the Torah of, of Moshe Rabbeinu, it says an incredible thing. It says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu is hevel, is air, luft, air, nothing, compared to the Torah of Mashiach. And then it says that the Torah of Mashiach, which I've been describing, right, is nothing, is hevel, compared to the Torah of Oilam Haba. Now what does that mean? Does that mean there's more learning going on? I'm sure there is. That's not the meaning of Hevel. Hevel means that there is such a difference between these types of ore of Torah that it's not even a substance. It's nothing. Now, that's not a quantitative change, more information. Uh, it's a qualitative change. It's something which is completely different. You see? It's like the difference between energy and matter. Uh, even though they're both physical, uh, but they're two different kinds of beings. You see, that's what the Medrash is alluding to. The difference between existential changes that take place is not a matter of quantity. It's a different universe. You see, you know, it's like uh, the, the comparison is, you know, imagine, you know, uh, nobody ever heard of bacteria or the, the microscopic world. Until Leeuwenhawk invented the microscope, right? And he took a look and he couldn't believe. There's an entire micro world 
They, we can't even imagine them. I mean, these things don't even look human, obviously. You know, you look at bacteria, you look at algae, uh, you know, and, and, and so on, you know. They don't look human, right? The nano world, the world of atoms and molecules, chemicals and so on, right? Uh, and even the world, like I said, of living substances, they don't look normal, you see? It's, an, it's like an entirely different universe that is below ours, that we can't even see unless you put a lens in front of it. Uh, you see, that's an example I would use. The reality of Oilam Habo compared to Oilam Haza, we can't even, there's no way to understand. That's why the Gemara says, uh, the eye has never beheld, right? What is stored up for tzaddikim in Oilam Habo. Uh, nobody knows. We can imagine Gan Eden, uh, because Gan Eden is not Oilam Habo. Gan Eden is, is an exposure to the opnimi of the world of Geshem Zoyamo, <coughs> which is the O Mashiach. That's all it is. But it's not Oilam Habo. Nobody knows what Oilam Habo is. Nobody. Even the greatest angels have no concept of what it means. You see? So you got to get rid of childish notions, which is amazing what other religions have, what they think the future world is. The world of God uh, is not. There's no concept that we can even draw. What is going on in that world? Remember, the opnimi, the inner structure of Ilam Habo is the Ein Soif. Could you imagine what that means? <coughs> it's beyond belief. And therefore, what changes is not only a different reality, but it's a different consciousness. We will have a different consciousness than we have now. You know, now, right now, you know, uh, compared to what is then, you know, Ilm Habo, Ilm Habo is nothing more than brain fog. In fact, it's not even that. You can't even begin to imagine what's there. But it's a different awareness, it's a different consciousness, because it's a different reality, you see. So we now understand what Lag Boema is, and also what Rochli Menu's Yotzai is. Uh, you see, it's nothing more than a, a day that commemorates, right, an existential transformation of the first type, right, that Rab Shimon is responsible for. You see, that's really what Lag Bohemia is, you know. But this is only the first of them. And like I said, there's another three, you see, or what really... Uh, we, 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 we can't commemorate because it hasn't happened yet, you see. But that's what Lag Bohem is. <coughs> but, at least, but at least it's an understanding that there is an opnimi, that there is an existential change, you see. <coughs> so that's really what goes on. It's just that it takes, you see. So that's what the, you see from the Medrash. That's what the Medrash really means. We're not looking here at a quantitative distinction. Uh, we are looking at a qualitative <coughs> distinction. <coughs> you see. And therefore, like Boima is the beginning, is the initial understanding of what's about to happen. And certainly we hope that Tufshin Pei Gimel, maybe even tonight or tomorrow, uh, since it commemorates the Orishim, which is the Messianic light, which is the beginning, the first transformation. Look, let's hope it happens today, tonight, tomorrow, right? But certainly that it should happen this year, you know. 
So in any case, I think we have a much better understanding. I think we have a much better understanding. We have a much better understanding of what really is going on. Any questions? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I have a question. Good. Okay, so when we're doing, let's say, um, a physical activity, whether it's a mitzvah or um, anything physical, when we connect ourselves spirituality of it, meaning like by inviting Hashem or um, uh, give an example of the mitzvah mikveh, the physical thing that we have to uh, dip in the in the mikveh. But when we connect it to the, the, the mitzvah and the intention behind it and we have the, that connection spirituality with Hashem involved in the mitzvah, are we connecting ourselves to the or pnimi of that physical activity? I, I, I didn't really understand the question. Could you... Okay. When you, when you do something physically, uh, let be it could be anything. It could even be exercise. <clears throat> whatever it, it could be. Right. But you, you, you connect yourself to the spiritual part of it, meaning I'm doing it to be able to be healthy and to do more mitzvot, and you're connecting yourself to Hashem within the physical activity. Right. So when you connect the physical and the spiritual together, are you connecting yourself to the or pnimi of that uh, of that situation, of that moment? The answer is yes. You know why? Because as I will say in a future shir, whatever, because the neshama itself has five parts. And the interesting thing about those five parts is that each one is connected to a different reality. Uh, so because you are essentially five parts, whenever you do an action, whether it be thinking, speaking, or doing, right, you are automatically connecting, right, to the opnimi of different worlds. So it's really one continuous connection because of the way the neshama is arranged, <clears throat> you see. So the answer would, to that would be yes, because of the distinct and unique type of connection that you have to the opnimi, right, from a, a soul level. Because your neshama is the opnimi ultimately of everything, right? <clears throat> that is what the neshama is. It's the opnimi, the entity that is connected to all creation, you see. And actually, if, if I will tell you something which is very interesting, but it needs a, a great elaboration. The world itself is an extension of you. We don't realize that. The world is an extension of the neshama. We don't know how or mystically, but it is. You see that <clears throat> in, a, in a certain concealed way, you see. <clears throat> the concept of, for instance, of possessions, without what you own. You don't own something only because it's legal, <clears throat> because all society recognizes that you can control the object, no. You own that because that object that you own is an extension of you, what's called ontologically. For instance, somebody talks Lashonara, right, and he gets Saras, which is a skin discoloration, right, uh, so the first attacks his house. Why his house? What does a guy's house have to do with him? And the answer, that house is really an extension of your being, which we have no concept of. In fact, that's really what the world is. It's an extension of who you are.
you see. And there's even a reminiscent science to this. It's called the, that man determines that one universe, the universe itself, knows everything going on within itself. Uh, that if you have a light wave in one end of the universe, it actually knows that you are going to watch it. Even science, the, anthro the anthropic principle, that all reality is determined by the mind of man. But how can that be? And the answer is because the whole universe, mystically, is an extension of the neshama. So the answer to your question, of course, is yes. Because it's you. Anyway. So that's like uh, what they say, that like how you manifest <clears throat> your reality through your thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Right. So then I have a question. How, how could we um, access those higher worlds with, through the Orpimi? Like how... What, uh, there are, there are, you know, the Rav Chaim Vital wrote a book called Shari Kedusha, um, and in that book he actually talks about how you can access phenomenon, or phenomena, I should say, of Oilem Asiyah. <coughs> he, he talks that it is possible. Uh, we can't be prophets, which I'll talk about someday. You know, and we, we, we can't have the real Ruach Chodesh, that's not really what we have. But we have, we can have prophetic dreams, we can have Gilelio, you know, we can access, we, we can access uh, Shadim, whatever, and uh, spirits and all that, in Oilem Hazer, or I should say in Oilem Asiya. So that we can do, you know. But there are prescribed ways. A lot of it has to do with your understanding, not you personally, but with the understanding of the concept of meditation. A lot of this is done through meditating on divine names. But you have to know what meditation is. It's interesting to give a shear on the whole concept of meditation, which I have, I have a whole bunch of shurim. Uh, on that, you know, how to meditate, what does it mean, what to meditate on. But there are phenomena that you can actually make available to yourself by doing the proper procedures. And one of them, of course, is uh, Ruchnis. I mean, Avoida. <coughs> if you do the mitzvahs with the proper intent, right, then you will access the Kedusha or the Shefa of that Opnimi. Right, that, that's available. So through, the, through, through doing the, the mitzvahs with the right intention, right. you could access to one level higher? Right, yeah. I mean, take a look at the classic example. Rav Chaim Kanievsky. <coughs> I mean, the man clearly had Ruch Kodesh. But it was even more than that. It almost looked like, it wasn't the Vua, but it was a very high order of Ruch Kodesh. He knew. And he himself didn't know why he knew. But what enabled him to access it was his tremendous Kedusha, his tremendous Limanatera, and his tremendous holiness. So he had access to divine information that nobody has today. It's terrible that he's missed, you know. But how did he do it? I mean, he wasn't a particular oivet. He was an unbelievable shoymer halochas and limit limit Torah. He was incredible. He was completely devoted. So because he was completely devoted, you know, he didn't even live in our world, you know. I mean, uh, if you read biographies about him, it's, in, it's astounding. He, you know, he didn't really know what was going on in that sense, yet he knew more what was going on than people who are involved in these things, you know. 
So yeah, that's the way to do it. Follow the Mesilat Sisharim. That's the key. Ramchal wrote a whole book on that. <clears throat> I always think that uh, Ramchal is, an, is the same letters as Meirochel from Rochel. If you jumble the words Ramchal, it spells Meirochel, the same letters, you know? Because uh, in many ways, his neshama is Yisoyed He died on the 20, which is coming up, by the way. He died on the 26th day of Eor. He was Yisoyed Shabi Yisoyed. Um, and uh, the Oasis the Ramchal is Meirochel, because he was an Indian of Yosef. He was probably a, uh, either a Nitzitz or a Shurish of Mashiach bin Yosef. Anything else? Yes. Yeah. So, does the Or Pnimi, is that the energy that runs through the Sephirah? <coughs> is the Or what? The Or Pnimi. What about it? That's the energy that runs through the Sephirah. Well, the Or Pnimi is a configuration, right, of a certain set of basic principles. That are the determinants of uh, of uh, you know of um, expressions, manifestations. So those the origin of the opanimi is obviously always the spheres. In fact, that's really what the study of Kabbalah is. It is a study of the configurations that determine different phenomenon or phenomena. You see, right. <coughs> so why why um what what's what is it? Hod Shebehod, which is um, uh, just one second, how do you shut it off? There's a button on the back. It says start stop and just push that. Where? On the back there's a button that says start stop and just push that. Oh, okay. Yeah, what were you saying? So the Hod Shebehod, <coughs> which is the day of Lazva Omer in the in the in the, in the Right. Why is it that configuration specifically? Well, like I mentioned, Hoid, you know, is a uh, majesty. It represents the Teresh of Alpeh, you know. And the Hoid of the Hoid, which is the majesty of the majesty, the essential majesty, is the Orpanimi. Because that's its essential determinant. Because that's what gives rise to the uh, second level of uh, Or. The first level is always the framework itself. It's like when you look at a substance, you look at its molecular structure. <coughs> you know, the atomic structure, right? The atomic structure is the opnimi of the molecular structure. And the molecular structure is the opnimi of the compound. And the compound is the molecular structure of the mixture. You see? See how it works? Each one goes higher and higher. It becomes more and more complicated. But if you really want to get down to the bottom, then go reverse. You know, you have mixture into compound, into molecules, into atoms. And even from then, you go into quarks, etc. You know, There's, uh, that's where each thing has a substructure <coughs> that forms its essential ingredient. Same thing. There are many opanimis, and that's what I was trying to bring out. The Lagboima is the introduction to the world of the Orpanimi, you see? Uh, for, uh, and, we, <coughs> and of course, we point to Rav Shemin. Okay. So and we were, talking, we were well, talking about the number 40, right? Um, right. How uh, anything changes with... 
why why the number 40 and like like even with prayers we say 40 days or they say <coughs> if you want to make a character change within yourself um do it for 40 days why 40 uh, i imagine you can answer different questions <coughs> but 40 would be uh you know 30 plus 10. i say that because the first 30 needs what's called the origins and the origins the first three spheres are you know every sphere has 10 subspheres so the first 30 would be Kesa Chochman Bino those are called the upper 10 uh, the upper excuse me upper three and they are the moichen the brains of the lower seven and then the first of the seven is Chesed and that's 10 so 40 would be a complete set of moichen which is the origin itself, the determinants, and then the first entry into the lower seven, which would be chesed, which is ten. And there you have forty. You know what I mean? Yep. Great. I think that sounds pretty logical. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi. Uh, everybody should enjoy, everybody should enjoy like Bohemia, but it's a, you should think about the real meaning that you're looking at the beginning of the opnimi. You know? Okay, we'll meet again hopefully next week. See you then.